kind of makes you want to ditch the service in here and go down the hall into Children's Church, doesn't it? But huge thanks again uh, this morning. We're celebrating that it took 100 kids, Pastor Allison and her team, uh, took 100 kids to elevate Kids Retreat last Friday and Saturday. That was just our church. And 24 people from our church went and served and gave their whole weekend to make that weekend special for those kids. Can we just celebrate that? Thank them for all of that. That is, that's just an amazing thing, you know. Last weekend, I rested, slept, took naps, got caught up. They served, and uh, that's precious to God. What we do for our kids, Jesus taught us, is the most important thing we do. So it's pretty cool. So huge thanks to you, and huge thanks to everybody else who helped make that happen by giving and the scholarshiping and all the stuff that went along with that. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. In a moment, we're going to pray for our kids' church. Uh, but thank you. Thank you to everybody who served. It's great to see you this morning. It's good to worship with you this morning. I hope uh, that the parking lot was better this week. Um, I got ta- done on time in first service, which then allowed the city of Enumclaw not to call us like they did last week in the middle of service and tell us that we gummed up Griffin Avenue and messed everything up. So. Pastor Dave gave me a stern talking to in the staff meeting on Monday, and we got done on time, so that's a blessing. Hey, by the way, uh, with the construction, uh, parking is, you know, going to be a challenge for the next few months, next four months or so as we get this building built. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your grace in doing that. I also want to ask you if you would be willing to once a month serve on a Sunday morning in a, on a parking team. It's about a 20-minute experience. The main time is between first and second service and then between second and third. If you could do that for about 20, 25 minutes once a month, would you please let Pastor Dave know, call the church office, stop by the guest center, send us an email, because uh, we could sure use you in these next few months. We do want to kind of stay on top of the, the parking situation. Again, we don't, we're trying to get building permits finished from the city. We don't want to mad at us because we're gumming up traffic. So uh, if you could help with that, that would be terrific, and thank you for that. A few quick announcements, church, before we open God's Word together. One is tomorrow night, Monday night is Sisters of Strength. That's our, our monthly ladies' fellowship dinner. It happens at 6.30 here in the sanctuary. Everybody's welcome. Bring a friend, no cost. It's always a good time of fellowship. So tomorrow night is Sisters of Strength. Coming up this Friday and Saturday, last call for the Women's Conference in Tacoma. Ladies, if you want to be a part of that, we need to hear from you right away. Uh, if you need help again with scholarship to go to that, we're, we're, we're a family. We're there for you. Let us know. But that's coming up this Friday and Saturday. So just ASAP call the church office if you haven't got signed up yet and you want to. Coming up in about three weeks, uh, well, actually, I guess it's two weeks, will be uh, this year's MRCC fishing trip. That's become a huge tradition these last few years. Pastor Dave leads that. It's a Sunday, Monday, Sunday afternoon, Monday type of deal. Uh, If you'd like to be a part of that, um, let Pastor Dave know. Call the church office. There's still a couple of spots open for the fishing trip, uh, so be be aware of that. And then one last thing before we open God's Word, you know... um, Sometimes I feel bad that we don't talk as often as maybe we should about all the missionaries that we are involved with and that we support. Um, if you go to the church website, you'll find out that, that MRCC, as a, as a family, we support 31 missionaries around the world, as well as four missions agencies. We do that every month. That's where part of our giving goes every month. And, and we're going we're gonna to hear from some of them more often going forward in May. We've got the Stovers coming to be with us. They serve in Mozambique in September. We've got another missionary. I thought we'd take just a moment 
and hear from a remarkable young couple. Their names are Cody and Cassidy, and they plant churches in a part of our world that it is illegal to plant churches in. So I can't tell you the country that they serve in because we're online, because this podcast goes on the internet. But, you know, whenever somebody tells me that the next generation isn't picking up the flag and carrying it forward, I want to say you're just not paying attention. Because Cody and Cassidy are planting churches in a part of the world where it's illegal to do that. And, and your missions team, which meets during third service once a month, but they meet today, uh, your missions team just added Cody and Cassidy to our missionary support list. And I thought we'd take just a few minutes for you to see them and hear from them. So give your attention to the screen for just a, a short spot here. Hello, everyone. We hope you are well. We want to give an update to you all from our part of the world mm -hmm. and Eurasia. Yes. And yeah, share some celebrations of what God is doing and share struggles that are happening and prayer needs. Yes. So, so first we want to really take the time, give the glory to God and thank you guys on the last a couple of months. I've really been blown away mm -hmm. by the excess giving that's come through. Churches are giving above their commitment line. Individuals are giving above. You know who you are. You know who you are. <laughs> Thank you. And I do want to acknowledge when those reports come through, and it's almost every day, I take the time and I read your names. Yeah. And I see that you're giving more than what it says on the line. Thank you. Thank you so much. We are really praising God for our support base that he has blessed us with as we continue to do the work. And I do want to report that the work has been going good. Mm -hmm. It has been difficult at times. Mm -hmm. We've definitely had our challenges. There's now we also, a, a as a lot of you guys have seen the news. of that video, uh, but we can't share it in its entirety this morning because there would be a revelation of exactly where they are. But that's Cody and Cassidy, one of our many missionaries. If you'd like to be involved in the missions team, you're welcome to. The meeting will be in third service today. You can just show up and say, hey, I want to get involved. But can we pause right now and pray and ask God's blessing on what Cody and Cassidy are doing? Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you this morning for the deep calling that you place on our hearts, God, when we open our hearts to you. And the calling that you've placed on Cody and Cassidy to go to a part of our world where it is illegal to share the gospel, where it's illegal for churches to meet and worship. You've called them to go there and share the good news of your grace and your love. We ask your blessing on them. Father, we think of, of the churches that they lead and the persecution, the danger that they face. We pray your protection. We pray your blessing. But most of all, Lord, we pray your fruitfulness over them. We ask that, that you would fill their gatherings with your spirit, that you would fill them with faith and courage to share the good news. And God, help us to recognize how little we have really sacrificed when you have given so much. Inspire our hearts to serve in the ways that we can. We pray for that. Lord, we, we lift up Kids Church down the hall. We remember that that is the most important thing happening this morning. Pour your spirit out on every classroom, every teacher. We thank you for all who are serving. And as we open your word together this morning, Jesus, help us hear your spirit. Help us hear you speaking to each one of us. You're, you're still small voice in our hearts. Give us ears to hear that. We pray that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
There was a moment in first service, it was pretty hilarious. I got up here to preach and, of course, daylight savings time and everything. And just as I opened my Bible and looked up, about eight people were yawning simultaneously. Yeah. Pretty hilarious. Then then I had to, felt like I needed to yawn and went through that whole thing. But that won't happen in second. Uh, it's good to see you this morning. Luke chapter 6, if you would turn there in your Bible, Luke's Gospel chapter 6. And you'll remember that we've set aside this year to go on what we're calling a road trip with Jesus. There are so many things that are said and done in his name in our world in this time, and some of them are his causes and some of them aren't. And Jesus wants us to know the difference, to be able to discern that difference, and that happens the more we get to know him personally. And so this year, we've set ourselves to go all the way through Luke's gospel. We've been doing that. If you got in the car with Jesus and drove from here to Boston and back, man, the conversations would get deep. And, and that's what God wants to do with us in this year. So we're in Luke chapter 6, beginning with verse 12. And let me begin by asking you this. How do you personally, you as an individual, how do you define success in your life? I mean, maybe, maybe you've never really thought about it. A lot of people don't, uh, at least not consciously. But, but all of us have sort of a, a, an idea of what success in life is. Even if it's kind of hazy, we have an idea. Some of us have very specific notions of what that means. What's your definition of success in life? I ask that because in just a moment, Jesus is going to give us a definition of success, and it's it's going to catch a lot of us by surprise. This week when I was getting ready, I came across some little uh, quotations, sayings about success. I thought I'd share just a few of them with you. For example, William Phelps says, if at first you don't succeed, be sure and ask if there's a consolation prize, which is, you know, good policy, right? Stephen Wright says, if at first you don't succeed, then skydiving isn't for you. That's something you should, you know... Yeah, enough said. Mark Twain said, to succeed in life, you need two things, ignorance and confidence. <laughs> I think there's a lot of truth there. Will Rogers said, the road to success is dotted with many tempting parking spaces. <laughs> yeah, that's real. Uh, Ian Benfield said, eagles may soar, but weasels never get sucked into jet engines, which is you know, a different definition of success, right? Darren Weinberg said, before you climb the ladder, make sure it's leaning against the right wall. Yeah, that's worth thinking about. Just one more. Anthony Trollope said this, success is a poison that should only be taken late in life in small doses. Wow, that's thought-provoking. Jesus wants to talk to us about our definition of success because everybody has one. All of us have one. And he wants to talk about God's definition of success. He wants us because he loves us, because we're his, because we're following him. He wants us to understand what success looks like in God the Father's eyes, in the eyes of eternity. And we've all been led astray by short-term definitions of success do you remember how you defined success in middle school or high school? Anybody remember? You had a very different definition, I can assure you. You know, when I was a middle schooler back in the 70s and we all had hair and we were all about our hair, my definition of success was to get my hair right in the morning before going to school. Comb it back just so, get the part down the middle of the feathering just right. That was my definition of success. 
How dumb is that? How does that change over the years? Now I know that the definition of success in high school or middle school are the friends that you make for a lifetime. And there might only be one or two of those. Or in a marriage. I remember when, when Ron and I first got married almost 40 years ago, and I remember my young, immature self feeling a great sense of accomplishment. I'd won a trophy. <laughs> you know, I had earned a wife. Or how, There was a part of me thinking in those terms just because I was young and not wise yet. But now my definition of success in my marriage is totally different. Now all I can think about is what can I do for her? How can I help her? How can I bless her this week? How can I make her day better? How can I make her month better? And how dramatically that's changed. Definitions of success should change, especially when we listen to Jesus' idea of success. You know, when he came, when the Messiah came, the crowds that applauded him in the beginning, they defined success in a very specific way. They they thought that Messiah had come to change the government, to restore the old religious laws, to make Israel great again. But Jesus came and went to a cross and called it success. And some just couldn't own that. Some just couldn't feel that, see that, understand that. But Jesus was unequivocal in saying, this is why I have come and this is the victory. Wow. How do you define success? Jesus wants to talk to us about that this morning. So Luke chapter 6, beginning with verse 12. And our definition of success has a, a, a profound impact on our lives. Again, whether it's conscious or unconscious. You know, some today think that success is feeling good. And so they continually pursue that no matter what it costs some think that success is feeling good about themselves and they continually pursue that no matter the cost some think it's getting rich or comfortable or secure some think that it's building their body in a certain way or gaining a certain reputation in the eyes of others some think it's being right about all the issues that our world debates but Jesus says success is something very different. It is how God looks at you and me when this life is over. So Luke chapter 6, beginning with verse 12. Let's watch and listen to the Lord this morning as we continue this road trip. The Bible tells us, verse 12 of chapter 6, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. He had big decisions to make. And so he said, I want to make sure that I hear from God in my heart. So he spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to them. There were a lot of them. And he chose 12 of them. Many years ago, God challenged me with this thought. What if I had been one of his many disciples in this moment and he didn't choose me? Would I have accepted that? Would I have been good with that? And he went on to teach me that, Greg, I have a place for everybody, and some here and some there, and I want you to accept that. Well, Jesus is doing that. He chose 12 of them, and then he designated them apostles. There's a significance to that we're going to touch on just briefly in a moment. But then it lists them. Simon, whom he called Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, 
Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. That last one is surprising. Jesus chose him, Judas Iscariot, who became... Now, you know, if you were there, if we were there, and you looked at this bunch that he chose, you would not have thought of them as the cream of the crop. You would not have thought of them as the ideal collection of future leaders. I mean, there's all kinds of problems with the ones he chose. First of all, just on a simple level, we got two Simons, two James, and worst of all, two Judases. So there's all this confusion. How'd you like to be for the rest of your life? Hi, I'm Judas. I follow. No, not that Judas. I'm the other Judas. Yeah, so we got that going on. Then we, we got fishermen, Andrew, James, John, Simon, blue-collar working guys, and we got some white-collar guys. We've got Andrew, we've got Philip, we've got guys that come from that side of life. Those two don't always mix, but Jesus deliberately mixed them. We got Philip, who, when we kind of focus on him in the Gospels, we find that he's always about outreach. He's always reaching out. He's always wanting to connect with new people. We got Simon the Zealot, who was exactly the opposite. Simon wanted everybody out of Israel who wasn't a Jew. Jesus chose those two and put them together. We got Thomas, who we sort of think of as the Eeyore of the bunch, right? Thomas, who's doubting, who says, ah, let's just go die with him because this is a dead end and all this kind of stuff. Thomas, though, who also is the first to worship Jesus there in John chapter 20. So sometimes Thomas gets a bad rap. We got Bartholomew who basically did nothing as far as we can tell, all right? He just never showed, evidently he was just there. He's the guy in the back of the selfie who's just always is there, Bartholomew. We got Peter who suffered from impulse control and, and ongoing foot and mouth disease. We got Matthew who just last week was Levi the tax collector. Remember, we saw him last week. Out of prison, a reformed criminal. We got Levi, we got Matthew. I always wonder what the campfire conversations were like between Simon the Zealot and Levi, the, the, the collaborator with the other side. And yet Jesus chose them. There were a million reasons not to choose this bunch. But here's the thing we want to see. Because Jesus spent that night in prayer, because he spent that night seeking God, because he got quiet enough to hear God, he made choices nobody expected him to make. He was able to see things nobody else was seeing. He was able to choose these 12, even though there were a host of reasons not to. And church, here's the first thing to understand. It's only when we get quiet enough to listen to God that we're going to see what success really looks like. Let me, let me say that again. It's only if you and me get quiet enough to listen to the God who is there that we're going to be able to understand what success really is. If we never do, we're always just going to go with what's expected. We're always just going to go with what's obvious. We're going to roll with the flow and at the end realize that we were never on the same page as God because we never got quiet enough to listen to him. Boy, if there was anybody, we might assume, who didn't need to spend the night in prayer in order to know what God was saying, it was Jesus, and yet he did. On many occasions, in fact, the Bible says this was often his custom. He often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And if he needs to do that in order to recognize what God is doing, so do you and I. You, you and I live with all kinds of situations at work, in our families, at home, where 
all the natural logic would suggest one approach. But God knows the right approach, and we'll never learn it if we don't slow down and get quiet enough to hear it. You know, I remember when Ron and I were serving the first church that we pastored down in Lacey, Washington, and we were very blessed, and God was doing good things. We were young, and, and they loved us, and we loved them. But then there came this moment when God said, you know what? I want you to step down here, and I want you to go to another church and serve it. The other church <laughs> was over in northern Idaho, and there was only seven people attending, and worship was one elderly lady with an accordion. So there was a lot of reasons not to choose that. And when we felt that in our hearts, when we felt God calling us to do that in our hearts, there were a, a lot of wonderful people, some with tears in their eyes, who said, oh, Pastor Greg, no, stay here with us. These were older folks. We were young. We'll take care of you. We'll be with you. You got a baby coming, you know. This doesn't make any sense. And, and Ron and I said, yeah, I know it doesn't, but we've prayed. This is what God is calling us to do. And then we did. And, and the next seven years were some of the most amazing years in our lives as God did a dramatically wonderful thing, growing, building that church. It became vibrant, healthy, fantastically wonderful experience. And at the height of it, when everything just couldn't possibly be better after seven years there, then God said, Greg, I want you to leave this place that you love. It's so comfortable. I want you to go to Coeur d'Alene because there's a broken, damaged dis church in disarray there. I want you to go there and serve them and help them recover. I mean, there was, humanly speaking, there's no reason to do that. But we knew in prayer what God wanted, and we went, and God was faithful. You always go on and on like this. The point is that if we get quiet enough to hear God, then we'll recognize what success really is. And you may need to do that in your marriage or in your family or in your work or, or just in your own heart. Jesus wants to redefine success for us. When I was a young man, a pastor said something to me that I've never forgotten. I've held on to it my whole life because it was brilliant. He said, Greg, when you have to make a big decision in your life, go to a cemetery and pray. Wow, Jesus went up on a mountainside to go to a cemetery. For several times I've done that. It's amazing the clarity of mind that comes over you as you walk around a cemetery praying. And you see all those names, people just like you. And you become aware of eternal things. That's what Jesus is doing in this moment. And that's what he teaches us to do. See, here's what we want to grasp, church. God says, Isaiah 55, my thoughts are not the same as your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than yours. So, Jesus, I want you to choose Judas Iscariot. I want you to choose Peter. I want you to choose Bartholomew. I want you to choose these guys even though there's lots of reasons not to, because of what I'm doing in the Spirit. And church, that is absolutely true for your life and mine. Do you get quiet enough to hear God speak to you in the important parts of your life? God invites us to. Proverbs tells us in chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your understanding. Doesn't mean don't think about it. Doesn't mean don't use your understanding. It means don't only lean on that. But God says, acknowledge me in all your ways. Acknowledge God, and he will make your path straight. He'll show you what success really is. Now, Jesus designated them apostles. That's incredibly important. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but in, that's a first century version of a legal action. He is 
delegating power of attorney, what we would call today power of attorney to his disciples. He is giving them authority. And, and church, that authority exists to this day. I as a pastor, you as a believer, we don't get to get up and say whatever we think, whatever we want to do, whatever our ideas are. We listen to the scriptures and then speak from there. I love what the Reverend Vadi Bakum said a few years ago, a brilliant quote. He said, the Lord told me is no substitute for the Bible says. And see, when the apostles, when Jesus designates them apostles, he places them in authority over you and me. They write the New Testament. Paul becomes one of the apostles. They write the New Testament for us, and they're exercising that authority. So we go first to learn from them instead of just making up our own stuff. And part of your job as a believer in a church is to make sure I'm doing that. So having done that, then Jesus goes on to get very specific about success. Look at verse 17. He went down with them and stood on a level place. What he's about to say, what we're going to spend the next few weeks leading up to Easter involved in is what is called in Luke the Sermon on the Plain. You'll find the same material in Matthew's Gospel where it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Somebody says, was it the plain or the mount? It was both. What we're about to hear is what Jesus repeatedly taught wherever he went. Sort of the core curriculum of Jesus the teacher is what we're about to move into. And what we're going to see here is Luke's version of it in this particular occasion. The scripture says he went down, stood on a level place, and a large crowd was there. A great number of people from all over Judea, Jerusalem, the coast of Tyre and Sidon. Jesus is, is at his kind of popularity apex here. And uh, people who had come to hear him, to be healed of their diseases, those troubled by evil spirits were cured. People all tried to touch him. Power was coming from him. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Jesus has power over the invisible influences in our lives. Jesus is exercising that power. And then he gets real specific. Catch this, friends, because it's the heart of this morning. Looking at his disciples, you and me, who he loves, looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who are weeping now. Matthew says, you who grieve and mourn. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. And blessed are you when men hate you, exclude you, insult you and reject you because of the Son of Man. Not because you're a jerk, not because you're not polite or respectful, but because you're standing with Jesus. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy <laughs> because great is your reward in heaven for that is how their fathers treated the prophets. You know, what Jesus is saying here is almost exactly the opposite of the message of our culture. And it doesn't matter which culture, our, our whole world's culture. And there's a couple of things we want to notice. First, you want to notice the distinction between now and future. Jesus very pointedly at first says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Present tense, you're experiencing it now. Blessed are you who hunger, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, because you will rejoice in your reward. So there are two different elements here. Why does Jesus say to the poor, blessed are you for yours is now the kingdom? Because very often, church, when we have less, 
we're more free in our hearts. Anybody who's a small business owner understands this, right? If you are the owner of the business, you're basically never off work, right? You don't work Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. You're always on all the time. That's kind of the idea here. Jesus is saying, blessed are you who aren't always controlled by riches, by wealth, by the drive for those things. Blessed are you when that is not your focus. That's what he's saying. He's not saying if you have money, you're automatically evil. He is going to say in a moment that that's a challenge. That's a unique and special challenge, and you want to recognize it. But he's saying when you don't have that, you have a kind of freedom to choose God's way. You know, a great example of this, do you remember the parable of the widow's mite? Jesus is watching people give, and this widow comes up and gives in one penny. Jesus says, and that was all she had. And Jesus says, wow, look at her. (laughs) Why would he say wow when she gave away? Because she was free to do it. And so many others weren't. See, here's the idea here, church. Most of us, I, I include myself, we have a constant temptation to seek comfort and security. The world says, blessed are you when you're comfortable and secure. You know, you got plenty of money. You don't need to worry about anything. You got a great house. uh, You got a great situation. You're comfortable and secure. That's awesome. Jesus says, that means you're not really trying. Because the people who are really trying to care about their fellow human being often find themselves giving away what they have or becoming a servant of what they have for the sake of somebody else. Yeah, that's the reality. Jesus' success isn't how high you climb the ladder. Success is how far down it you go to help somebody else. Last weekend, um, you know, when the Elevate Kids Conference happened, I think I took two naps on Saturday. I had a huge breakfast You know, Sunday afternoon, I went home and took another nap. I was comfortable and I was secure, but a whole bunch of people from our church were serving and they were exhausted at the end of that weekend. And God says, they earned my praise. They earned my appreciation. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, blessed are you who are poor, who hunger, who weep, because you're trying, because you're giving of yourself, you know. One of the things our culture says is you're at your best when you feel good about yourself and your situation. Can I just tell you that Jesus, when he did his greatest work on the cross, did not feel good about himself and his situation. In fact, right before he went to the cross, he asked if he could opt out. While he was on the cross, what did he say? Oh, God, this is awesome. Yay, I'm just, I'm on the mountaintop. No, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was extending himself. He was making a sacrifice for others. And God said he wasn't failing. He was winning. You know, I think of a a soldier serving our country in a foreign land like many did in Afghanistan and Iraq in these past couple of decades. And, And maybe that soldier, maybe she's on a mountainside in a foxhole in a driving rain in the dark and there are terrorists stalking her as she sits there. And in her heart, she wants to be anywhere else. She'd rather be back home in a second. But you and I know that what she's doing is incredibly important and significant. We call her a hero. Why? Because she's comfortable and secure? No, because she's not. And that's what Jesus is saying to you and me. 
And a lot of times we say, man, my, my marriage is hard. It makes me cry. It's a struggle. God says, yeah, but the fact that you're trying to make it work, that's awesome. That's success. You know, raising kids is so hard, it's overwhelming. Sometimes I'm at my wit's end. Rhonda and I like to say, nobody ever really succeeds at parenting. We just survive it. <laughs> but God says, every tear you cried, every hardship you endured, every time you exercised patience, every time you were forgiving and gracious and kind, and every time, that's success. Jesus wants us to know that the definition of success is not what the world says it is. Matter of fact, to, to kind of drive that point home, he goes on in verses 26 and following to say the opposite, just to, to make the point clear. He says, "Blessed," uh, he says, but woe to you who are rich, for you already have your comfort. Woe to you who are well-fed, because the day is going to come when you realize how much you really missed. Woe to you who laugh now, for you'll mourn and weep. Woe to you when men speak well of you. Do you know, it is so easy, and we're almost done this morning, to come to the place where we spend our entire lives trying to look good in the eyes of others. That's so real. That happens, not especially in this social media age. Some of us, our, our very sense of ourselves rises and falls with whether we're noticed or appreciated or looked up to. Jesus says that's not the definition of success. It's not the praise of other people. It's the praise of God. And you don't need to be anything more than Jesus' trophy. A sinner saved by grace. Somebody who's following him because he loves you. Yeah, that's where it's at. But how much of your life is spent propping up an image? Supermom. Reliable dad. And tough guy. Sexy girl. How much of your life is spent building these images that are nonsense. Jesus said, the only real success is the praise of God. And this is where we're going to close this morning. Uh, Jesus emphasized that repeatedly in John chapter 5, verse 44, for example. He said, how can you believe? How can you enter into intimacy with God? If you accept praise from one another and make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from God. See, the definition of success is not that everybody thinks you're great or cool. The definition of success is what does God think? What does God have to say about your life? And to many of us who are struggling, who are suffering, who are having a hard time because we're making so many sacrifices, God is saying, you are killing it. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. I'm paraphrasing in case you're wondering. He's saying this is awesome. I read a funny note. This one lady said, you know, uh, my, my greatest moment was that 10 years after high school, she said, I stopped by a 7-Eleven on way, my way home and bought a Sloopy from my high school football team captain. <laughs> Follow it there. She's being a little mean-spirited there. But, <laughs> but she's also talking about the fact that in the same way that middle school and high school were just a mirage, so also is this life a mirage because the reality is where it's going. Many people think that there's no connection between life here and life in eternity. The Bible says exactly the opposite. This is that what we do here directly affects there. And so Jesus is saying, hey, think in those terms. Over in John chapter 12, he said the same thing. He said the Pharisees, they love praise from men more than praise from God. And sometimes we can fall into the same category. So as we close this morning, let me ask you, as your fellow human being, as your fellow follower of Jesus, what is your definition of success? Is it comfort 
and security? Is it not having to grieve or mourn? Is it never being poor, never having to do without? Is your definition when everybody speaks well of you? Jesus said, that's no definition. That's a big nothing. He says, instead, make it your ambition to seek the praise of a Father God who loves you. Let me finish with a story. Karen Watson was a police officer in Paramount, California. When she realized one Sunday in church that her definition of success was completely different from God's. And as she prayed about that and thought about that in the following weeks, she made a huge decision. And, and she decided to set aside her career, not that everybody needs to do that, but she got alone with God enough to hear her, him talking to her. She decided to set aside her career as a police officer and volunteer with a relief agency that was serving the poor and displaced in Iraq. Now, this was 2004, so it's the middle of the war. Friends, neighbors said, that's crazy. Why would you do that? She said, because I think it would please God. So she went. She went. She served delivering food, medicine, and practical help on the streets of Baghdad to families displaced and suffering from a whole different world than hers, but she devoted herself to that. Before she left, she wrote a letter to her pastor and told him not to open it unless something happened to her. Well, sure enough, about a year later, during a gunfight that broke out on the streets between soldiers and terrorists, she was hit and killed. And at the memorial service, the pastor shared her letter and in it, she said, you're only reading this if I died, and went on to express her love for her family and her friends and her appreciation for those who had helped her. But it ended very simply. She wrote this. She, did, I, she said, I discovered that to obey was my only ambition. To suffer was expected, and that his glory is my reward. You see, her whole definition of success had changed. It had completely changed. And as a result, she found herself doing something she never expected with a greater satisfaction and joy than she ever imagined. Now, church, you misunderstand if you think that what I'm saying here today is that you need to move to Afghanistan and serve the poor. That's between you and God. But here's what Jesus is saying. It's better to sacrifice. It's better to grieve. It's better to be troubled. It's better to wrestle with hard things. It's better to be disliked by some. It's better to seek your Father's praise more than anything else. Maybe you need to redefine success. Would you bow your head with me and close your eyes? God, we thank you for your word this morning. Jesus, we thank you for challenging us about what really matters. God, may we not come to the end of our lives to discover that we've succeeded in things that don't matter. May we instead hear you calling us to walk the path less traveled, to understand that sacrifice is the road to joy. 
God, some of us need to do that in our marriage, our families, our work. As we go from here today, help us to hear you like Jesus did that night on the mountain. Help us to hear him teaching us what success really is. We pray for that in your great name. Amen. Would you stand with me, church? You know, I think about that woman in the Slurpee that she bought from the high school team captain. Jesus said, many who are first are really in last place. And many who look like they're in last place are really in first. Where do you want to be? Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love them. Have a great afternoon.